I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be looking at how to receive Holy Spirit baptism or how one can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But before we move on to what we want to discuss, let's do a brief recap of last week's broadcast. The emphasis was on the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. What was it that we observe scripturally on all the people upon whom the Holy Spirit came? There is this general belief that the only physical evidence of Holy Spirit baptism is the speaking with tongues. But as we looked at it from scripture, we saw that that's not the only physical evidence. So one of the evidence, of course, naturally was the issue of speaking with tongues. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. We saw that in Acts chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius. And we saw that in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. But we didn't see it in Acts chapter 8 when the apostles laid hands on them. However, it seemed that something happened because Simon the sorcerer noticed something and wanted that gift so that he could lay hands on people and he offered money. So there were other evidence, even though the Bible does not state in some instances that they spoke with tongues. For example, in the case of Saul of Tarsus, when Ananias laid hands on him, the Bible does not say anything about him speaking in tongues, but there were other things that the Bible noted. So besides tongues, we noted that the people the Holy Spirit came upon manifested boldness, a boldness that could only have come because the Spirit of God had come upon them. Then they were able to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Peter was able to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we noticed that they prophesied. We defined the prophecy as foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling is speaking about the future. Forthtelling is speaking directly from the throne room. And we use the description of somebody who is speaking through a microphone and we are hearing what he's saying through the loudspeakers. In this instance, the loudspeaker would be the person whom the Holy Spirit has come upon who is prophesying and the person who is speaking behind the microphone will be Almighty God speaking directly. So that's what we call prophecy. Besides that, we also noticed the manifestation of extraordinary abilities. We spoke of the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, the gifts of healings, workings of miracles, and interpretation of tongues besides prophecy and tongues itself. We noted that the bottom line is that there are other manifestations or evidence of the Holy Spirit, baptism, besides speaking with other tongues. So let's not get caught up with speaking with other tongues and believe that once I'm not speaking with other tongues, it means I'm not baptized with the Holy Spirit. That may not be true. By the grace of God, if we have time, we'll probably speak a little bit more on the issue of tongues in this broadcast. We also noted in our last broadcast that Holy Spirit baptism without the fruit of the Spirit, which is epitomized by love, our love for God, our love of God, and all that goes with it, profits nothing. So it's not just about the pursuit of Holy Spirit baptism, but the fact that we ourselves must manifest the fruit of the Spirit for Holy Spirit baptism to truly be profitable, not just to us, but also to the people whom we are sent to minister. Then we also noted that Holy Spirit baptism is to enable the recipients, you and I, to walk or cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring about the fruition of God's agenda or God's will here on the earth. Holy Spirit baptism is not for show. It is for service. It's important that we understand this so that we recognize that the essence of Holy Spirit baptism is to empower us so that we can serve God 
acceptably. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we cannot serve God acceptably. One of the important things that we have to understand about the Christian life when a person has been saved is that God does not save you and then leave you to yourself. No, he now puts in you everything that makes you to be a child of God. Today, we want to answer the question, how can I be baptized with the Holy Spirit? This is assuming that having seen the evidence, you have not seen any manifestation of such in your life and you are asking the question, so how can I be baptized with the Holy Spirit? One of the crucial things that I want us to note here is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it absolutely clear. John the Baptist said that the one upon whom the Spirit will descend and remain at his baptism says that is the person who is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and the Lord Jesus Christ was that individual and he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. It's not anything that a man can do. A man may lay hands, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who brings it to pass. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. That said, there really is no methodology as to how to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we look at scriptures, we don't see a particular method. We see various things. Just like when we find the Lord Jesus Christ involved in performing miracles, we discover that he did the same thing in different ways. So you couldn't tie him down to a method. So we want to note the following. Number one, be ready at any time to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, how the disciples were gathered together in one place when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And the Bible now says, and suddenly there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind from heaven. So when the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room, it came suddenly. If you look at Acts chapter 10, the same thing. Peter was still preaching when the Spirit of God came upon Cornelius and his party in his house. So be ready at any time for the Holy Spirit baptism. There's no methodology that you can say, oh, this is how it's going to come. This is how it's... But one thing we are sure of, it will come suddenly. The second thing we want to note is that you must be born again and you should be undergoing sanctification. It's one of the crucial prerequisites. If you are not born again, you cannot be baptized with the Holy Spirit. To be born again means that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You have made him your Lord and your Savior. You believe that he is the one who paid the price for your salvation. And haven't believed that you surrendered yourself to him and confessed him as Lord and said you renounced and denounced your sinfulness and sin loving life. And now you have attached yourself to him. As a result, the Holy Spirit has come within you and is doing a work of sanctification. Once that is in place, you are a candidate for Holy Spirit baptism, which can take place anytime. The third thing I want us to note is that you must be desirous of the baptism or put differently. You must be desirous of service for God. That is, there must be a desire in you to want to serve God because the Holy Spirit baptism comes upon those who are being empowered to serve. So there must be a willingness in you to serve. As long as the desire is there for you to serve, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, the Bible says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Why? It is for service. So your desire to serve God brings about the gifts, which are also a representation of the Holy Spirit baptism that would enable you to do that service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Another euphemism for Holy Spirit baptism. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Here, he was bringing emphasis on prophecy. The essence of him mentioning prophecy here was because the Corinthian church laid so much emphasis on tongues. And he was trying to say, tongues play a different role. And that prophecy was something that was beneficial to other people apart from 
yourself. And so he says, desire spiritual gifts, but more importantly, desire the one that will be beneficial to others. And that was, in this particular instance, prophecy. The fourth thing we want to note about how we can be baptized with the Holy Spirit is that you need to have a knowledge of the evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism so that when it happens, you will not be ignorant. You remember the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, we have told this Holy Spirit baptism, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wants us to know what it's all about. And so it's important that you understand the evidence so that when it happens, you would know it has happened to you. Now, there are people upon whom the Holy Spirit comes, and because they don't know that these are the evidence, they don't understand. For example, the day I got born again, people will be speaking, and before they say anything, I knew what they were going to say beforehand. But I didn't understand what was happening. It was strange to me what was going on, because of course, I was just born again. A few minutes afterwards, these things were happening, but I never knew that the Holy Spirit had come. Upon me as at that time because again the teaching was that you have to speak in tongues and there are many people who get so disturbed about speaking with tongues that they don't even understand when the Holy Spirit has come and is handling things in other areas. I realized that the moment the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, one of the crucial things which many of us don't even mention is the one that the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and he went about, he went about doing good not gossiping, not disturbing people, but doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will go about witnessing, doing good things, good deeds, as empowered by the Spirit of God. Even casting out demons, not for sure, but out of concern for the souls that are being oppressed. So we need to have a knowledge of the evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism so that when it comes, we know that this is really what is happening here. You realize that you now have a special ability to discern, to know things beforehand, to receive solution to problems that could never have come any other way. You suddenly have a boldness that was never there. I heard the story of a believer who was accosted by armed robbers on the road. They pointed the gun at him, threatening to shoot him, and he brought out tracts and began to give to them and said, you must be born again. He later was to say that he didn't know what came over him. But he began to preach. There was such a strong presence of God upon him as at that time that he didn't care about whether they wanted to shoot the gun or not. He preached to them and they left him alone. I don't know if any one of them got born again, but the bottom line is that he was not scared of the gun. A boldness had come upon him. So it's a good thing to know this evidence so that when it comes upon you, know that, oh, this is the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Finally, the Holy Spirit can come upon you during a sermon. In Acts chapter 10, 44, which we already mentioned, Peter was still preaching in the house of Cornelius. When suddenly they began to speak with tongues. The Holy Spirit had come upon them. And the evidence was that they were speaking in tongues. So it can happen during a sermon. I remember the case of a, a young lady. She was asking questions about the Holy Spirit baptism. And after explanation, she said, okay, she has heard. And in the course of the main teaching, she received it. And that was it. It could happen at water baptism. I've heard of people who were baptized in water. And as they came out of the water, they began to speak with tongues. One of the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. Some people noticed that they were able to do things that they could not do before, even though they didn't speak in tongues, but they noticed that they were able to do things that they could not do before. And they understood that this was a supernatural thing that was happening after their baptism. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, about the Lord Jesus' baptism, how at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, speaking about the same experience that Matthew documents, but in a different way, the Bible explains what happened to the Lord when the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Bible says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There is a leading that is taking place once that baptism has occurred. So it can happen 
during the sermon. It can happen at water baptism. It can happen at salvation. Another one is laying on of hands by a minister of the gospel. We see that in Acts chapter 8 verse 17, how Peter and John went to Samaria and laid hands on the brethren and they received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9 verse 17, how Ananias laid hands on Saul of Tarsus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 19 verse 6, we read about how Paul laid hands on the 12 disciples that he met in Ephesus and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, like I said earlier, Holy Spirit baptism does not have a methodology. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one baptizing and he can do it anyway. He can do it anywhere. So it's important that you are ready at all times for it to happen. Make sure that you are born again and that you are being sanctified. Ensure that your desire is to serve God, not to speak in tongues. Your desire must be to serve God, not just the speaking of tongues. You need to have a knowledge of the evidence so that when it happens, you know that it has happened. And remember, the Holy Spirit can come upon you during the sermon, even as you're listening to this, it can happen. It can happen at water baptism. It can happen at salvation. It can happen when hands are laid on you. I remember the first day I spoke with tongues. I was asleep. It was as though I was in a dream. And I was saying something in the dream. And as I woke up from the dream, I found myself speaking a strange language. And immediately I questioned myself and stopped it. That's why it's important to know when the Holy Spirit baptism has taken place. It was later I realized that what I was doing was actually stifling the Holy Spirit who had come upon me. So... A few months later, I asked somebody to lay hands on me that I was not able to speak in tongues, and they did. And I said, is that it? He said, yes. I said, oh, but this happened to me in my house. He said, well, maybe you didn't understand it at the time. So it's a good thing to know. It can happen in different ways. Don't tie yourself to a methodology. That's the essence of what we're saying here. The Holy Spirit baptism is what the Lord Jesus Christ does. It can happen anywhere. It can happen anytime. It can happen in any way. Now, let us spend some time discussing tongues. People tend to associate tongues principally with Holy Spirit baptism. But the Holy Spirit baptism is more than speaking in tongues. And speaking in tongues is more than an evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism. So let's clear that bit. Because sometimes we narrow Holy Spirit baptism to speaking. So once somebody is speaking in tongues, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's all. No fruit of the Spirit. We just blah, 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 and that's it. And the man can speak in tongues and still go out and smoke cigarettes. Can speak in tongues and still go out and slap people and quarrel and do all kinds of things. And then we start wondering, is he Holy Spirit baptized? Today, there are people who believe that they can teach people how to speak with tongues. And so we are getting all kinds of counterfeits and not getting the real deal. So let's look at tongues because it goes beyond just an evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. And Holy Spirit baptism is not all about speaking with tongues. Like we've seen earlier, there are other things that show that the Holy Spirit baptism has taken place in the person's life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In the same first Corinthians chapter 14, the second verse, the Bible says, For he who speaks in a tongue, the old King James says, in an unknown tongue, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. From these two verses, one of the things we want to note about tongues is it is an unknown, unlearned language with respect to the speaker. When you are speaking with tongues, the tongue you are speaking with is an unlearned tongue, is a tongue unknown to the speaker. That's one of the important things that you must understand here. If, for example, I speak English and I'm praying in English, that's not speaking in tongues. But if somebody who has never learned the English language before, let's say a Chinese in some deep province of China who has never come across an English person in his or her life, 
begins to speak the English language in the place of prayer on prophecy, he's speaking in tongues. Because that person has never learned that language. He doesn't even know that he's speaking in English. And we're going to see the value of such later. Now, tongues, like we've seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, could be of men. That is human language. Like I used the example of a Chinese person who is speaking English in the place of prayer or prophecy. Now, that would be speaking the tongues of men. That happened in Acts chapter 2. Because the Bible tells us that when the day of Pentecost came and they began to speak with other tongues, the people who had gathered from the various regions of the world, the Parthians, the Medes, those from Mesopotamia, the Arabs, the Cyrenians, and so on and so forth, heard them speaking in their own language. So what we had in Acts chapter 2 was actually the tongues of men as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. But they didn't know what they were saying. Now, besides the tongues of men, there's also the tongues of angels, which the Bible classifies as mysteries unknown to any human being. It is at such times that you will need an interpretation because it's a language that is not human. That's why it is called the tongues of angels. When we talk of tongues, you have the tongues of men and you have the tongues of angels. The tongues of men is human language, never learned unknown to the person who is speaking it. But there are hearers who know that what he's saying is their language. And I'm going to tell you later on the importance of that for the hearer. Then there are the tongues of angels. These are tongues that are unknown to any human being whatsoever. It's not of any human language. It is the tongue of angels. And when such tongues are being spoken, the Bible tells us that that fellow is communicating with God. Where that communication is for men, there has to be an interpreter. That brings us to the third thing about tongues, especially the tongues of angels. It is the means of communication with God. The Bible tells us in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 4, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. When you speak to God, you are praying. So it is a means of communication. In fact, in some places, it's called the prayer language. So you see that tongues goes more than just the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. It's the prayer language of the believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. It's the prayer language. It's the language of the Spirit in prayer. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when we are speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit is praying through us to the Father. The Father understands what is being said. And that prayer is not necessarily what we may intend to be praying. But the Holy Spirit is the one praying through us. And because he knows the mind of God, he is able to effectively communicate with the Almighty on our behalf. That's why the Bible uses the language intercession because it's praying on our behalf. If we were to pray, we would have asked for some things, but the Holy Spirit may not do that. In fact, the Holy Spirit may start by praising God instead of even asking for anything. And he might do a whole load of praise and not even ask for anything. And yet, because he's interceding for us, God knows already what it is that we need and he will meet those needs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible tells us in verse 10, it says, God has revealed the things that he wants to do to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. In verse 11 says, For what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God, except the spirit of God. And then in verse 12 it says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So, as that communication is taking place, the Holy Spirit is 
like a go-between. As he's speaking to the Almighty, he's also revealing to us the mind of God. Sometimes, as you are engaged in this prayer language, there are some things that come to you and you just know what they are. You don't understand what is being said, but you know because the one who is revealing the mind of God is also speaking to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. When we pray in tongues, or when we speak in tongues, the tongues of angels, not the tongues of men, what is happening is that we are strengthening ourselves in the inner man. We are praying, and that prayer is strengthening us in the inner man. It's bringing about courage and boldness in the inner man. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, this is Paul praying. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. In Acts chapter 4, I believe it is, when the Sanhedrin had warned Peter and John not to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says when they left them, they went to their company and they told them what had happened. And they all raised their voices and began to pray. And in verse 31, the Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were edified. They were emboldened. They were renewed, as it were, in the Spirit. And they could go all out and preach the word of God. But self-edification does not profit the church at large. It profits the individual. However, spiritual gifts are meant for the profit of all, as recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So that begs the question, what then is this whole thing about tongues? In verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. I wish you all spoke with tongues. What's this saying? Not everybody speaks in tongues. So don't get yourself down because you're not speaking in tongues. It's good to speak in tongues. Don't get me wrong. But it is not enough for you to say, ah, it's not working for me. I'm not baptized with the Holy Ghost. No, you are. You just may not be speaking in tongues. So in the same way, as you desire to serve God, you can also pray to God for the gift of speaking with tongues so that you can pray effectively to God. So it says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. What is he saying here? When you prophesy, that is when you are speaking forth in a language that the congregation understands, which is prophecy, the church is edified. The church is strengthened. Everybody is strengthened. Everybody is emboldened. Everybody receives courage. Everybody is edified. But when you are praying in tongues, especially the tongues of angels that nobody has interpretation of, you are edifying yourself. So usually when you pray in tongues like that in the church, it should not be to disturb other people. It should be because you are strengthening yourself. So usually people can pray in the spirit under their breath. And I'm sure you've noticed that among some people, even in a church meeting, and they go on speaking in tongues under their breath. They are being edified in the inner man. They are receiving wisdom. They are receiving counsel from God. They are flowing, as it were, with the Spirit. However, the Bible says that when you speak with tongues, if you are going to edify the church, then there must be interpretation. So basically, we have an equation. Tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy. When you speak with tongues and you give an interpretation, what you are doing essentially is you are giving prophecy. In some instances, you have one person 
speaking in tongues, one or two people, or even three speaking in tongues, and then one person giving interpretation of all those tongues. When you combine all together, what you have is prophecy. Now, this is how God works. Sometimes God does not want one person to dominate a meeting. So he could give one person a word in tongues, give a second person an additional word in tongues, and then give a third person a conclusive word in tongues, tying all those two together with his own, and then give him the interpretation of everything that has been said. That would be prophecy. So tongues still has its value where there is interpretation. It is where there is no interpretation that its value for the church is null. Its value is for the individual who is speaking in tongues. But where there's interpretation, its value for the church shoots up and it becomes prophecy because it's a word from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, the Bible says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to these people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. What is the Bible telling us here about tongues? It's saying, and here we're talking of now, the tongues of men. The tongues of men is a sign to unbelievers where that tongue is a language that the unbeliever understands. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. Let's say an English preacher goes to Italy and has never spoken Italian before. And as he is preaching in English, he has an interpreter who is interpreting. Then suddenly he bursts into tongues. And as he's speaking in tongues, the interpreter knows that he's speaking Italian, but he's speaking a different dialect, a variation of Italian. The interpreter himself doesn't understand it. But there is somebody in that congregation who understands that language. That hearer understands what is being said, but all the others don't understand. That hearer is usually an unbeliever. And that's what the Bible is saying here. There's a story that is told of a young man who went to see Smith Wigglesworth. Apparently, he was somebody who was quite talkative and he was quite expressive about the gospel. He thought he was born again. He thought he knew all about the gospel. And so Smith Wigglesworth invited him for a meeting they were going to have that evening. Because he said once he came into his house, he talked for hours uncontrollably. And he was going on and on and on with a whole lot of pride and arrogance on his shoulder. So when they went for the night meeting, this was in England, and they began to praise God. They were just worshipping God in songs and in psalms and in hymns. As they were doing that, one of the ladies present at that meeting began to speak in tongues. And the young man who had earlier been talking uncontrollably ran towards that girl and put his ear and was listening. Suddenly... Another girl at another end began to speak in tongues again. And he ran across to the other girl and was listening. Then, after a while, he left the place and went back to where he had been lodged. So the next morning, when Smith Wigglesworth came out to see the young man in his room, he knocked on the door. The young man asked him to come in. And Smith told the young man that last night was something else. The young man said, yes, last night was indeed something else. He said, but we didn't see you after a while. What happened? He asked Smith, he said, those two ladies who were speaking. Are they by any means Welsh? He said, no, they're not. They're, they're English people. He said, wow. They were saying things to me in Welsh. They were speaking to me in Welsh. He said, how was how that so? He said he understood what they were saying and that when he left, he came to this room to kneel before God and to repent and that now he's a changed man. That was why he could say that last night was something. That is the instance in which tongues are for unbelievers. I heard the case 
of Catherine Coleman, who had gone for a Christian meeting in a hotel. And as she was preaching, the place was filled up. So they had to open the doorway of the hall so that people even in the lobby could hear what she was saying. There was this Chinese citizen who was sitting at the bar having a glass of beer. Whilst Catherine Coleman was preaching, she suddenly broke into tongues and went on speaking in tongues. Nobody understood what she was saying, but they knew she was speaking in tongues, so she spoke in tongues. And at some point in time, she stopped speaking in tongues. By that time, the Chinese man had left his drinking at the bar, had walked into the hall, right at the altar, had knelt down and was weeping for salvation. It was later that they asked him what was going on. He said that woman was communicating in a language from his deep region of China that nobody in America spoke that language. And yet this woman was telling him about his life, speaking to him about the waywardness and the sinfulness in his life and calling him to surrender his life to Jesus Christ, which was why he came to the front of the altar. That is where tongues, the tongues of men, play a major role. That is what was happening in Acts of the Apostles in chapter 2. Let me read from verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, that is the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They were speaking what God was doing, the deeds of God. Now, such a tongue is what is being referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 21 and 22. When an unbeliever hears that, he comes and begins to confess unto Almighty God. Let me take 23 and 24 for completeness. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. What he's saying there is when you are speaking, even in tongues, the tongues of angels, but there is interpretation, then there's conviction. But if it is even the tongues of men and the unbeliever hears, he is convicted and falling to the ground, he repents of his sinfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 27 to 30, it says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. What is he saying here? The Corinthians had abused tongues. They were making no sense. It was as though you were in a penthouse with chickens clucking and nobody was understanding what they were saying. And yet they were claiming that they were communicating with people. And so he said, no, don't do that. He said, when you speak in tongues like that, one person can speak in tongues. When somebody else is speaking, the person who started should stop and let the second person speak. If there's going to be a third person at all and he must, even if he speaks in tongues, there must be interpretation. You cannot go on, you speak in tongues, A speaks in tongues, B speaks in tongues, C speaks in tongues, D speaks in tongues, E speaks in tongues, no interpretation. He says, no, where such a thing is happening and there's no interpretation, it means that you are supposed to be praying to God. Pray within yourself. Don't disturb the congregation. 
But if once we are sitting down quietly, somebody gets up and begins to speak in tongues, we expect that there will be interpretation at the end of it. If after he finishes speaking in tongues, somebody else picks up again, beautiful, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And then the third person picks up, that's okay. But the next person, whoever that person is, must give us an interpretation. Otherwise, let everybody be silent and let the meeting continue. That's what he's saying there. So that in verse 29, it says, let two or three prophets, that is those who are speaking in tongues, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. This is the order that the Holy Spirit brought to the church, especially in Corinth, when they were getting out of hand speaking in tongues. So when tongues are spoken in a church meeting, there must be interpretation. If there's no interpretation, keep quiet. And where there is interpretation, we are not supposed to take it hook, line, and sinker. The listeners must receive confirmation from the Holy Spirit. He says, let others judge. Or let them discern what has been said in interpretation. Does it agree with the word of God? That is the written word of God. Does it agree with scripture? Because you are speaking in tongues or because you are giving an interpretation, you insist that we must all follow your interpretation. No, we don't have to. We must go back to God. In 1 John chapter 4, the Bible says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So we must test the spirit. Test what manner of spirit is speaking. There was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ went to preach in a village of Samaria and the people did not want him to stay there because the Bible says his face was set on going to Jerusalem. James and John got angry and told the Lord Jesus Christ, let's call down thunder upon these people. And the Lord looked at them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit is operating in you. So yes, it is possible for somebody to say he is in the spirit and be speaking the voice of another spirit. Then Matthew Chapter 16, when the Lord Jesus Christ had asked the question, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And Peter had confessed him as Lord and as the son of the living God. And he was applauded by the Lord. Shortly after that, the Lord Jesus Christ now mentioned about how he must go to the cross and the kind of things that will happen to him. And then Peter began to berate him. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou severest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. This was Peter. But the Lord just was saying, that's the spirit of Satan speaking, trying to dissuade me from going to the cross. Why? Because the Lord knew that the cross was the salvation for mankind. So it's important that when people prophesy, we must judge. When people speak, even a message in church, we must judge. We must discern. There is no body that is infallible. When people preach, take down the scripture. Note it and go and understand what the Lord is saying to you. That should be the essence of taking notes. Like the Bereans, the Bible says they were of a nobler sort. They went home and studied the scriptures. If what Paul had preached was in line with the scriptures and you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Bible says you don't need anyone to teach you. He is there to teach you himself. As you go through scriptures, those people will confirm that this is indeed what is being said here. So when we're talking of tongues, we've seen basically tongues are useful. The tongues of men, the tongues of angels. Tongues are a prayer language. Easy to communicate with God. Tongues are there to edify us, to strengthen us. Where there's interpretation with tongues, we have prophecy. Tongues are assigned to unbelievers, especially when we are speaking a human language that we never learned. We never learned, we never knew it. We're just speaking in tongues, maybe in the course of a service, in the course of a meeting, and I just burst forth in tongues, and somebody hears it, that this is my language, and knows what God is saying. At those times, God is bringing that unbeliever 
to repentance. And then where there's tongues taking place in a meeting, where the fellow who's speaking in tongues is vocal, maybe somebody's preaching a sermon and somebody busts up in tongues, the person who's preaching the sermon must stop and allow that tongue to continue. But if there's no interpretation, then we must tell the fellow who directed the sermon to speak to God. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And at that, after all of the speaking in tongues and everything, there must be a judging, a discerning by the listeners, whether it is of God or not. So let's conclude our discussion today. Holy Spirit baptism is a baptism of power for us to serve God acceptably. If your speaking in tongues does not translate into boldness, witnessing, going about doing good and healing all those that are oppressed of the devil, it profits nothing. If all you are doing is speaking in tongues and there's no service, there's no witnessing, all you are just doing is speaking in tongues, you have not profited the body. Maybe you have profited yourself because of self-edification, but otherwise you have not profited anybody. So much noise. Sadly, when people are speaking in tongues and there is no requisite power, there's so much noise, but little or no power, this must change. When we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it is so that we can manifest the power of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so that we can come and be speaking in tongues and tell people, oh, I now speak in tongues. Hear my tongue. This is how my tongue goes. This, no, it's not for sure. The speaking in tongues could just be an evidence that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and is saying to you, it's time to go and serve. You must be able to go about. You cannot sit down in the pews when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will go about doing good, preaching. You will know what the word of God is and you'll be preaching. Souls will come. Today, we have become lazy as Christians because we now have Bible schools. We have school of disciples. We have school of prophets. We have all kinds of schools. There's even healing schools now. There are all kinds of schools have been opened, left, right, and center. The people go through all of that and come back and sit down in the pews. And you're wondering, what was the essence of all of that? If you come to sit back in the pew, you are baptized with the Holy Ghost to go about being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are walking in a bank. So where is the evidence of that baptism in your life in the bank? When you are committing fraud, where is the fruit of the Spirit? When something happens in the bank and you cannot pray, somebody comes in with a door check and you didn't receive something in your spirit, a check in your spirit to say, that check is done. Even before you went to check the signature, the signature may be right, everything may be right, but the Spirit of God in you says to you, that is a dot check. Don't pay it. And you refuse to honor it. And you're almost sacked for it until they discover that indeed it is a dot check. And there was no way anybody would have known that it was a dot check except by the Spirit of God. Where is the value then? If you're working in such an institution and you are the one passing dot checks, you are the one approving them, and there's no discernment, a friend of mine told me once, they brought some checks for him to sign. And as he was signing checks, he got a particular check. He stopped and said, let's see the documentation. And as he looked at the documentation, there was an error. He packed that aside and continued to sign other checks. Then he stopped again and said, let's check the documentation here. And there was an error. Every check that he stopped and said, let's check the documentation, there was an error. And there was a series of checks like that. What was happening there? The Holy Spirit was working in him and being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in that establishment. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking of power that is released only when you are in church or in a church meeting. No, even in your place of work, in your neighborhood, people come to you with life's challenges and the Lord gives you a word of wisdom where you're able to solve their problem just by receiving from the Spirit of God and you're saying it to them. Sometimes the husband comes and says something, the wife comes and says something, and you just slip in one word and it answers the question. Even if they may not accept, they know that this fellow has just told us the truth. This is the value of Holy Spirit baptism upon the believer, where we are able to be a witness 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can say this is the demonstration of the power of God. Like what happened when Peter told the man who was born lame, silver or gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He pulled the man up and the man began to walk, leap up and jump up. And later Peter said, why do you look on us as though by our holiness we have made this man walk? Say no, the name of Christ through faith in that name is this man whom you see, whom you all know has received perfect soundness. At the end of that sermon, 5,000 men had surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. This is the essence of Holy Spirit baptism. My prayer is that we will be challenged. And those of us who already have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, let me say this. You can be infilled by the Spirit of God many times over. You are baptized once, but you are infilled over and over again. In Acts chapter 4, how the disciples prayed and received a fresh infilling and they received fresh boldness to go out there and to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And souls were won and things were happening. That should be our situation. I pray that the Almighty God will infill us over and over again and empower us and enable us to go forth and do His will and fulfill His agenda for the world in our homes, in the church, the local assembly, in the global church, in our places of work, and in our nations. By the grace of God, next week we'll come to you again and the Almighty God will share with us what it is that He wants us to hear. God bless you and goodbye.